0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew. We're in Nashville, Tennessee, for this episode of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. And this one, this is actually, this episode came about in a funny way. A, a few, about a month and a half ago, uh, you know, Vinny from Russian River reached out to to both Ron and I, and it's like, hey, you guys should do a podcast together when you're there at CBC. And so here we are, sitting down, and, and uh, Ron Beetson, uh, brand ambassador for NZ Hops. I'm not going to say NZ Hops, I'm going to say NZ Hops and say it correctly like for that. you. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Yeah, Kioro, Kioro, Jamie. There we go. So uh, Ron, a uh, doctor, Dr. Ron Batesy, you are a, uh, a storied hop breeder and have bred a lot of the New Zealand hops that we all love using in beer today. Um, we're going to learn more about that. We're going to uh, explore the topic of thiols and uh, uh, you gave a nice uh, presentation earlier here at CBC. We're going to follow up on some of that and uh, talk to you about what you know about how to use the. Uh, New Zealand hops mm. in a compelling way and uh, as long along with the the mechanics and history of those hops I'm looking forward to diving into this because I love New Zealand hops love them with a deep passion oh, that's cool that's f- cool to hear <laughs> fanatical about <clears throat> New Zealand hops and uh, you know and so I was excited about having this one and thanks to Vinny for putting us together so we could have this conversation before we do G&D chillers the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling are proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. Want to maximize efficiency in your chiller, G&D's micro-channel condensers are designed for less power draw. Their lighter weight and more compact design uses up to 70% less refrigerant which means a lower GWP and lower operating costs. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is sponsored by CanCraft. Stressed about packaging and can supply, don't worry. CanCraft's team of design and aluminum specialists are here to make things easy by supporting you every step of the way. From aluminum cans to lids to PackTech can carriers to design help, CanCraft can provide you with a full-service packaging experience from design to delivery. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com slash CanCraft to get started. And as your brewery making its own ciders, seltzers, and other beverages beyond beer, if you need a central source for fruit flavor... Old Orchard has you covered. Old Orchard supplies flavored, craft, juiced, concentrate blends to beverage brands for the production of beer, cider, seltzer, wine, spirits, kombucha, and more. Flavor your lineup and streamline your sourcing by heading to oldorchard.com slash brewer. So, Ron, let's talk about your past first. Uh, give us give us the, the Ron and uh, history in a nutshell. <laughs> uh,
1: it's... Um I've, I've been a research scientist uh, all my academic life, if you like, and um, I've started off uh, as a uh, tobacco breeder of all things uh, in New Zealand. Um, tobacco is, uh, this is in the in the nineteen seventies, and uh, I've always been a plant breeder. As as a you're yeah. into all the vices, aren't you? I, I'm into in all the vices. Yes, yes. It's sort of I haven't moved on to cannabis yet, but um, it seems there's like still time. There's a, a lot of people seem to you know, go think hops and and cannabis go well together. So um, we. Basically, I started off my education in New Zealand, and I'm born and bred in the um, in New Zealand. And uh, the home, my hometown, I was born in my, the town I live in now. I was born in uh, Motueka, and um, so that's that's where I come from. I come from. Uh, I, uh, my parents had a little farm, and we, not, we grew tobacco for a while, but we then moved into growing uh, berry fruit, raspberries and, and the likes, and it's a pretty valley. It's, it's quite similar in many ways to the areas on if you go from Corvallis to out to the coast, and you know the, the terrain there is, is quite similar. Mm-hmm. river valleys and, and you know lots of hills and things around so sure that's, that's the hop growing area, and it's the top end of the South island. Uh, so yeah, that, that's where I was born and raised. And apart from being educated there and going to boarding schools and things, I, I went to Massey University, and did my masterate and uh, well, bachelor's first, and then masterate of agricultural science. And then I, I got a job uh, with the what was then the the Department of Scientific and Industrial Research, and it's quite a mouthful, I know, uh, it's, it was shortened to DSIR, and um, in the 1990s it was changed, to, uh, they became a um, Crown Research Institute, which is, um, it's still a, a quasi-government um, organisation, but basically they um, their funding is by, um, uh, they have to make your own way, basically. So you have to, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't just go and spend money Don't sure, you know, get, sure. get an open check at the start of the year and spend, spend it all up. So, um, so you yep. find some
0: patrons in an industry where you can actually help them. And, yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Focusing, that, the whole idea of the Crown Research Institute was to make them a bit more accountable and, and more direct um, into industries that are supporting exports for New Zealand. Sure. Because, you know, New Zealand really is um, it's about export. You know, as people know, we're, we're sort of the last stop between, um, in, you know, to Antarctica, pretty much. Right. And so it's um, it's an area where, um, you know, we, we've we we pride ourselves that we've we, in the hops in particular, we've done a good job in terms of developing new cultivars. Um, just going back to my education, I then um, got a study award to go to. Um, United States, and and I did my PhD not too far from here. Actually, it was in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, All right. and uh, and I did it in the crop science department there, and I did a, a plant breeding and genetics um, PhD. And I, I had know a
0: few things about tobacco breeding in uh, oh, North yeah, yeah, Carolina.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah tobacco has been a great. Actually, a lot of people rubbish tobacco, but it's actually been good for me from a science perspective hmm. because it's um, it's a crop that. Um, it it's, lends itself to, sort of like a lab rat in many ways, it's, um, it lends itself to a lot of genetic studies and, that, and that's, that's what I was doing. And, uh, and I, I learned a lot about techniques of um, how to go about plant breeding um, based on my tobacco experiences. And at the end of my um, time at doing PhD in the early 80s, I, um, I was bonded to the New Zealand government because they had sponsored my trip. And um, so uh, they said, um, we'd like, if you're going back to Motueka, we'd like you to... Become a um, hop breeder because the the, the present um, person in charge of the program was retiring, and I said, "Oh, okay." And I didn't. I even though I'd been born and raised in the area, I didn't really have much time um, in hops itself, apart from doing a bit of hand picking with mm-hmm. my mother in the 1950s and, and <laughs> early huh. and so early 60s. So um, before the machines came along, of course. But anyway, so um, <clears throat> we, uh, I, um, yeah, you know, I, I started out. Um, I, before I came back to New Zealand, I um, spent about a month or so out in the Pacific Northwest and learning from the from the, the gurus out there. Of, right. of the, so there's Al Hornold. You know, some people will know him. He's a, he's a he was a, a, a man of um, considerable expertise in, in hop breeding, in particular. Uh, spent quite a lot of time with him. Uh, the chemist there was Gail Nickerson, who um, you know was is also very well known in the, in the chemistry field um, of hops. At the time, she's written numerous papers, along with Hornold, um, and I spent, you know, other people there as well, but they are the two that I remember most about, and then I spent some time um, up in the uh, Yakima area, you uh, know, Gene Pabasco from J.I. Haas, mm-hmm. uh, and also Steve Kenny, who was the breeder at uh, Washington State University at the time, so I spent a lot of time with him, and um, and I learned a lot, and uh, that was the important thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Some of the things I, I picked up on was uh, that the genetics we've got in New Zealand is pretty much reliant on everything that comes from the Northern Hemisphere, because hops are not native of New Zealand. So right. you, um, they've been imported into New Zealand um, with the early settlers, mostly European people, um, English people in particular, or British people, um, fuggles and goldings and those types, and also the Hallertau uh, and Spalter and uh, Tettnanger types from and, and Satsa types from from Central Europe or you know hop growing areas right. of Europe and um, so a lot of that material was in New Zealand um, but um, one thing I took time to to uh, do when I was in um, Pacific Northwest. My first trip was to um, look at the genetic resources they've got there, and and Al Hornold in particular, he was in charge. Of, he was curator basically of the collection at that time, and um, so he, um, you know, w- he let me loose on the <laughs> on the populations there, and had a, had a good look at all the genetic material being collected from right around um, the world, and in particular. Um, uh, some of the wild material that's um, that was in the collection from uh, that originated in various parts and um, on the plains of um, North America mm-hmm. um, the prairies and um so it's yeah well, neo
0: mexicanus harps
1: uh, yeah some of them and also loopylors uh, mm. samples um, particularly the, a lot of loopylorides of course is mm. in the background of of all cultivars that we grow these days as well so it's uh, uh yeah it was, it was it was a good opportunity to look at that material um and when I in them you know after spending some time up there and enjoying, you know, they hosted me it was great. And so I got back to New Zealand and, of course, the reality struck, oh, gosh, we haven't got many of, uh, you know, much genetic resources there. So um, we had a lot of old line material, as I said before, from the early settlers, but there was the collections were sort of a bit willy-nilly and hit and miss. So um, we imported quite a lot of material into, the, um, um, into New Zealand. At that time it was easy because it was um, sort of, Pre plant variety rights days, <laughs> and, right, right. And so so the the um, transfer of material between countries was a lot, or between breeders was a lot uh, simpler, and right. um, and we could get away. With, well, we wouldn't say get away with it, but you, it was um, the norm, if you like. And it was a gentleman's agreement. You know, sh- shake the person's hand and say, look, you know, I'll give you five of mine, and you give me five of yours, right. and we'll, um, and if you ever want to release it, we'll, um, you know. Hold up your hand and tell tell them where you got it from, sort of. And um, so there's no money changed there, in other words. So. But anyway, that that was the start of a really good um, relationship I had with the uh, American industry, and I've been back oh, I don't know how many times now. About every at one stage, it was sort of like seemed like every year uh, coming back up to um, North America to learn more about uh, hops and to liaise with some science people. In particular, um, you know, people like Tom Shellhammer at um, sure. Oregon State, sure. of, you know, he's here at the conference now and we, we've yeah. teamed up again and um, it's good to see him again. And
0: uh, we've, we've talked to him on the podcast here too. Oh, yeah. 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 He's,
1: he's a great man and he's, you know, I, I've got a lot of um, admiration for what he's done in right. terms of the knowledge around, you know, flavors and aromas and chemistry and, and um, beer chemistry in particular. So it's uh, it's really great. And um, so, you know, I got back to New Zealand and we, I started working in hops. And also at the time, I was, I, um, I didn't work in tobacco after that time.
0: and uh, Because tobacco- the government wanted you in hops.
1: They wanted me in hops hey. and, and tobacco was a, a dirty word then. And so uh, the tobacco industry, you know, uh, right. like like over here, it's gone pretty much. Yeah. Well, it has gone completely since the 1980s. They really. saw the
0: future and the future was hops, not tobacco.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yes, one would say that. And so I, I started working on kiwi fruit as well. So I've I've, um, right. I've been fortunate in my science career. I've been um, had multiple crops, which has helped me understand and, and use some of those sure. tools and other crops to to um, do work in, in the genetics fields of, of hops. Because hops are a bit different because yeah. they're a, di- a dioecious species, so that male and female are on different plants. And um, so and you've got to use, you know, obviously you've got to do progeny testing to test the males because you can't really test them directly um, as such. Um, and so it, it's it's been a, it, you know, working other crops has been good for me and yeah. um, and uh, it's helped me understand the process. Um, one thing that we've got in New Zealand that's a bit different is um, the um, our cultivars are, um, are all triploids. So the three sets of chromosomes, mm-hmm. um, you know, hops have got 20 chromosomes normally. Um, and so the, these beasts have got 30. And um, so, and why? Why have we done that? It's uh, it were, there was a, a strategy that was developed before I actually started in my job. Um, the previous breeder, um, uh, Dr. Rudy Broberg, visited England and noted that they had some tetraploid material over there, and um, and they had derived the tetraploid stuff with with forty uh, chromosomes. Um, they had derived that and worked out some techniques of how to how to do that over in England, and um, so. He, he brought that knowledge back and uh, started doing his own crosses in New Zealand and, um, and we developed a whole stream of um, tetraploids from that which are, are really the backbone of our... Uh, the triploid program to get a triploid, you have to cross a diploid with a tetraploid. So mm. one with two sets, with, with one of four sets of chromosomes, and you end up the the progeny in between is thirty three sets. Sure, so, sure. Yeah, sets. Well, I
0: want to talk about what that means practically for uh, you know for for the plants themselves. Before we do that, Accubrew now monitors specific gravity to ensure consistent results and detect problems before they ruin a batch. The Accubrew system is designed to give you unprecedented insight into the fermentation process, monitor gravity, fermentation activity, clarity, and temperature, schedule reminders, and receive alerts anywhere, anytime. Accubrew's CIP-ready device is designed to stay out of your way. They know your time and space is precious, and they take up as little of both as possible. No more samples, no cleaning, and no calibration. Set it and forget it. To learn more about Accubrew, head on over to accubrew.com. I O also brewing is currently one of the most innovative, adaptive and fast paced industries in the world with consumer demand shifting to the latest and greatest trends. It can be difficult for production teams to keep up with requirements. The Profill series of rotary can fillers from pro brew are accelerating plant production everywhere. These can fillers run at speeds between 100 and 600 plus cans per minute while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers. For more information, visit www.probrew.com or email us at probrew.com to learn exactly how we can take your operations to the next level. Pro brew your beer. And did you know your water can change the flavor profile of your beer? Water is the number one ingredient, after all, and U.S. Water Systems knows just how to treat it. uswatersystems.com has been at the forefront of the craft brewing industry and created American-made water treatment systems with brewers in mind. Whether you're a hobbyist or a pro, head on over to uswatersystems.com to learn more because great beer starts here so ron tell me what uh you know what what is the practical like meaning of uh, you know of a uh, triploid hop and uh you know what is you know as you are growing them um you know what is what impact does that have on the plant itself i'm i'm curious i this is a realm of knowledge that i do not possess yeah well
1: it's it's one of those things where um triploid we're gonna very just t- taking it back a step we've got a, a Fairly mild climate compared with most other yeah. countries that grow um, hops it's um the, the winters are quite mild really and the the difference between summer and winter temperatures is not great so and also um, we don't get super hot days uh, so um, and so the, likewise the autumns are uh, quite long and um, you know yeah, you can grow crops quite right. quite well into the autumn so one of the ideas with the triploids is, is that they because they're s- genetically sealess they, they will um, produce a bit slightly later. Mm. So, and it's at the peak of um, the autumn. And that's one of the reasons. The important thing is that, you know, the, the hops um, don't produce seed and, and that adds to the the, um, the amount of um, lupulin you can have in your mm. in your cone as well. So yeah. there's more going into the into the, the goodies, if you like, <laughs> <laughs> of the hops. Right, So, right. Um, so that's the back uh, the base of it. And of course, uh, seedlessness is, you know, I, I, if I'm talking to brewers, they'll know why, you know, seeds are not sure. really, um, you know, that's they, they can create issues in, in the right. brewing process if there's too much seed. So um, anyway, so the, that's the, the mechanics, if you like, of, yeah. of what. And uh, to get there, of course, is, you know, it sounds simple to say, oh, yeah, just cross a te- diploid with a tetraploid and, you know, hey, presto, you've got these triploids. But it's um, – you've got to actually then um, – uh, well, you've got to create the tetraploids to start with, which you can't find them in nature, right? So, and that's probably one of the hallmarks of our program is that we've we've got uh, arguably the best tetraploid collection in the world, and right at the plant and food research, um, in Motueka, it's uh, where I worked for 50 years, sure, and sure. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's um. We've that's what we've done. We call it population improvement, and mm-hmm. so what we've done is we've created um, tetraploid populations on their own, and done selection work within those populations. So, in other words, parental selection essentially. Right. So that's which is very important, and the other thing about it is, is of course, yeah, uh, um, being male and female, you've still got to um, evaluate the the boys as well as the girls. So mm-hmm. from that, so it's easier on the girls because you can um, the females you can. Plant the populations out, and, and you yeah. can get cones off them. Whereas the males, you've got to do progeny testing. So, that's when the that's when the tricky bit comes in. And I've given uh, lots of talks on this uh, at uh, international um, hop symposiums and things. So it's, uh, it's it's been my it's been a real pleasure for me to take that knowledge to the world. I think it's something that we have added. Um, other countries have done triploids, but they haven't yeah. really sort of concentrated on them. Yeah, I mean, there's been a few up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Al Hornold produced a couple. Mount Hood and the Liberty are two that um, he's he's bred, which are triploids. Um, but there hasn't really been a focus on as such on in the program, because it's, it's it's sort of taking a difficult route, really, in many ways to produce cultivars. And <laughs> and but I think that's it's part-
0: hard enough to find things that uh, you know have all of the characteristics that you're looking for from Ooh. all of that agronomic performance as well as all of that flavor and aroma performance like finding all of that is hard enough, but trying to add in this extra layer on top of it mm, um, and mm. do it with, uh, you know, uh, you're limiting, you know, what you can pull from uh, in order to create the things that you can ultimately make uh, or, you know, ultimately breed that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, and with the, the, the idea with the triploids, of course, is, is that you've got two sets of chromosomes coming from one parent and, and one set from the other one, obviously. So it's uh, uh, it's the mix of them, of course. And we've taken various strategies. Uh, we've used the tetraploids as both males and females. So you can gather from that, even though the males have never, they're not named cultivars or anything like that. If they're tetraploids, you know, they, they can be, um, uh, have some unique properties and impart quite a lot of um, characteristics to mm-hmm. the, their progeny. Um. In, historically, we've used the, the tetraploids as, as the females. And uh, so two thirds come from the mother, if you like, of yeah. the, the mother parent, and one third from the, the father. But we've taken the route in some of our crosses to do it the other way. And um, it's a challenge, I tell you, because it's um, when you look at the genetics of it, which we probably won't get into, but the genetics of it is that uh, if you do the cross with the tetraploid as the father and the diploid as the mother, you don't get a 50-50 ratio of uh, progeny with male or female. You, you get more like um, one in six is going to be female. So oh. it's, it's it's just the Mendelian genetics, and um, the, this, that's probably something that the, <laughs> that the brewers don't want to hear about anyway. Yeah, but, uh, I don't know that we
0: need to get that. No, into I don't it. think so. Yeah.
1: No, no, but it's um, it, it's as a Scientist, it's, sure, it's, sure. It's, it's exciting because you're, you're dealing with something that no one else has fiddled with, if you like, in, in terms of um, developing uh, new hop cultivars. So we've had a lot of industry funding. Um, when I say we, I'm um, the Plant and Food Research, um, right. the company that I work for, the uh, Crown Research Institute. Um, and um, in more recent times, we've um, teamed up with um, – with NZ hops, NZ hops, and um, the cooperative, and uh, that's happened in around 2020, and we've got a joint breeding program with um, between NZ hops and um, and uh, plant food research now, and I was part of that, of course. So I've sort of bridged the gap, if you like, on both for both companies, and so it's been a, it's been a pleasure for me to see all the the fruits of my labour, so to speak, as sure, all the sure. cultivars, and now I'm seeing through to the um, growers and the brewers. So it's
0: it's it's pretty exciting. It's pretty awesome. Let's, uh, let's let's turn the clock back 50 years as you're getting started <laughs> on breeding. You know, if we look at this, and I, and I mean, this is the same for the hop industry worldwide. You know, 50 years ago, there was a sole focus generally of breeding on plant agronomics and alpha production. I mean, those are really all that the beer industry cared about, just making beer bitter and making sure the plants were hardy, and they huh. produced a lot of that, uh-huh. right? Um, You know, the last, you know, 15 years in particular, 20 years, maybe, you know, have turned that initial direction on its head as flavor and aroma have become such, you know, huge drivers um, and exploring all the corners and nuances possible in those flavors and aroma, Uh, you know, and it's no small feat that hop breeders and hop growers have been able to pivot so quickly um, that has you know, in a way that has helped feed this last ten years of the craft beer revolution. That uh, moving an industry like that with that depends on so much, uh, you know, of of this breeding. Like, I mean, it's it's pretty fast to to move an entire industry like that. Uh, but talk to me about some of those shifts in that program over that time, and uh, you know how you know were there some key turning points along the way where uh, you started noticing that that some of these were going to change, and uh, this might have some different kinds of potential for beer that people could make yeah
1: well you're right and it, it was an alpha scene back for 40 50 years ago that's for sure when i first started it was certainly that and uh, but we'd started to make um, inroads into using more aromatic hops if you like the european genetic material in particular uh, which had more classic aroma profiles. Yeah. And so the initial stages were to try to develop, um, you know, new types that were adapted to our climate in New Zealand. Um, and uh, we you know, well, yeah, basically suited to, to our climate, climatic, or te wa, as the yeah. saying goes. And um, <clears throat> one thing we noticed that uh, was that we've used a slightly different pathway in many ways as we've said with the triploids we've we've got a lot of North American material it's uh, we've used um, the lake cluster cultivar um, is, is one of the cultivars that was originally grown in New Zealand um, and it was from California it was nicknamed Kelly for short and um, so Kelly was has been the backbone in many ways of, of a lot of our cultivars so and as we know um, lake cluster we don't really know it's True genetics. Uh, yeah. it has got obviously some wild material in there somewhere, and uh, so I think that's given us. Um, you know, when we've used uh, Kelly, it's um, we've you know double chromosome numbers of Kelly, and uh, and it's also um, some of its progeny, and um, we've created these new identities, if you like, with with new genetics, and and that's where I think that it's the change came for us anyway. Was um, and one of the first cultivars we produced um, was. Um, was Nelson Sovan and uh, that came out in two thousand. And uh, by we'd crossed it in nineteen eighty five, and um, along with, ironically, a Rewalker was crossed in that year as well. Huh. And so um, we've got these two rock star cultivars sort of still around today. And um, you know, t- you know, sort of dates back to last century, well into really last century now. But um, they were, um, you know, we knew they were different. And um, and when we had our research committees, we would discuss the pros and cons of these odd plants that we had, which are not just uh, they weren't just bred for aroma. Uh, alpha. They were they had these unique aroma properties, and the the profiles weren't classic. Um, so you know, aromatic profiles were you know the the Germans um, had the. At the wood on everybody with their descriptions of their various, you know, the humulene content and the and the um, farnesine, if they had farnesine or not, and, and some of the other attributes there. But, um, in many ways, we do a lot of these measurements, but, um, <clears throat> the true identity of these things is, is the or the true, um, yeah, that the the hops themselves, um, is, Thiol compounds and and the likes are, are, are quite uh, obviously very important, which we found out since.
0: Right.
1: And one of the um, initial studies uh, of the thiols in in our hops was um, Nelson Savin because these, um, you know, it was it was a sort of different beast altogether. And, sure. Well, I shouldn't say beast. It's a it's a it's a, a rock star queen really. And uh, so it was um, when it was being used um, the. The one um, the Japanese in particular um, took it and and did some, they had quite quite close relationships with New Zealand at that time, and they took some hops from it and uh, did some characterization of the thiol compounds, and you know we know that the thiols are very difficult to measure and there's there's umpteen of them and uh, there's various you know people describing how they could be um, the synergies between various um, types of thiols. so um, but. They the first to d- describe it. It wasn't actually described by us in New Zealand, uh, but but since then, you know, of course, it's you know it's been recognised that obviously Nelson's Oven is a New Zealand hop, so it's um, that's where I think the winey flavours was, that was where they tried to understand that a little bit right. better, and yeah, so um, that's it. It turned uh, about twenty years ago, I'd say 20, 25 years ago, and we we'd already started doing aroma breeding, if you like, um, if we can call it that, and um, so. Um, yeah, it, it was one of those things that evolved. Um, in many ways, you're you, you dragged along with it because, you know, we knew that there was sure. something. And, you know, in many ways, uh, Nelson Savin was one of the forerunners of um, the craft brewing industry boom, and, and a lot of our cultivars have paralleled, since then, it paralleled the, the boom. So we um, – It seemed we, to
0: we, prefigure it a bit, uh, you know, and mm. I bet, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of – you know, if, if, was it so? You crossed it in '85, and then hmm. it was released in 2000. Great, and hmm. you know, I imagine being released in 2000, it was probably released to very little fanfare and audiences. Uh, a lot of brewers who are like kind of scratching their heads and figuring out what I'm going to do with this.
1: Oh, you did right. I mean, that, that was a bit of an unknown. And one of the, um, it we we have a research committee, and on that research committee we have um, growers and brewers. And one of the brewers was from Lion Breweries in New Zealand, which is was you know it's quite a well known brewery. Sure. Um, and um, at that stage, they were you know the New Zealand dominated, if you like. They're not, they're not anymore; they're internationally uh, international company now. But they um, at that stage they had quite an input into their research program. And uh, the head brewer there, um, Malcolm Breyer, was the was the brewer at the time. And and he had done some um, trial brews with on their pilot plant up in, uh, near Auckland. And, um, in fact, we, we, we used to go up and help him do the brews as well. But it was a lot of fun. And um, so, basically, um, he kept on saying, you know, this, we, we, we do this these trial brews with this thing, and it's got um, some really strong, whiny characters to it in, in particular. And, um, you know, that, that typical... Um, Flavor that we know of of right. Nelson Sauvin now, and so you know the, the people would nod around the table, and eventually, about, after about two or three years, we thought, well, let's do something with it because you know, it is unique, and you know the craft beer boom had started then. Um, so um, they had taken ownership; Lion had taken ownership of the one of the original craft beer um, breweries in New Zealand, which was based quite close to us in, in near Nelson City in uh, the top end of the South Island. So. Um, it was called Max Brewery, and Max um, they, they were pioneers of, of craft brewing in New Zealand, really. And so um, they had taken ownership of it. And one of their brews that they did was um, one of their when they took over was um, to launch Nelson Soven. and they launched it as a beer called Aramac, and um, Aramac was um, solely uh, Nelson Soven. and it was um, that's when it started off. That was when the first inklings of it became. Evident with with the public, if you like, or the sure. brewers internationally, yeah. and and it, it picked up from there. They did a media fanfare, and uh, the only plot of Nelson Sovan at the time was at our research centre. So we we had all these um, media people out there, not really beer people, actually, it's quite surprisingly. Um, and they launched it, and um, it gradually moved on. And we, you know, it um, Lion were um, had an. They've, you know, they're an international company now and it went across the, the ditch, as we call it, to, across to Australia, and, uh, and they started using it over there. And then it, it made its way to the United States, of course, as well, quite quickly. And uh, it's really the United States is where it's got its name from. You know, we, we can thank the Americans for, <laughs> for, um, for the upswing in, in our cultivar um, usage here, uh, and particularly the, the unique flavours that we've got in our hops. You know, a lot of them are they're fruity, yeah, I guess there's a general description for New Zealand cultivars. They're fruitier than, say, the North American cultivars, which is which is great for us because sure, we, we don't yeah. want to, our flavors. We don't want to be emulating what they do really well here in the United States, and and uh, we want to have our own carve our own niche out, if you like. We're not trying to replace anybody else's hops. We're just trying to um, create options for brewers who um, want to use them, often in combination with American hops, and some of those beers as a you know sensational i think and sure. i've tasted a few here in sure. little old tennessee you <laughs> on this trip
0: fruity i think doesn't doesn't fully encompass it you know it, it's fruity but with a kind of like a fresh but crisp edge to it too it's like this uh um you know it has this definition mm. to it that mm. uh, and structure to the that hop fruitiness itself which uh you know which makes it compelling and you know and then some character to it that i i often describe as something like uh, white linen you know where it has um you know that again that kind of like structured line through it that uh you know that makes it uh, it doesn't it's it's not as overtly like citrus as something like citra uh you know or pineapple is uh you know something like mosaic but mm. um you know but it has that character. like how you know over the over these years you know 85 to the present how has Nelson and uh, Sovin and your, uh, you know, sensorial approach to it changed, you know, because these hops also, uh, you know, between crop years and between, uh, you know, various developments, uh, you know, they they all and also figuring out how brewers use them. Uh, That uh, becomes uh, another another key feature, figuring out how you optimize around some of these things, you know, um, what they might brew using Nelson, uh, you know, with a USO5 or Chico yeast strain. Is you know may be very different than uh, you know what uh, what you brew using a London ale three strain and uh, you know and so there's certainly techniques there that can pull out different sides of that. Talk to me a little bit about uh, you know that that flavor o- over time and uh, how brewers have been using it.
1: Yeah, it's um it's an I'm not a, I'm not an um, organic chemist or anything like that, but I'd say <laughs> so. I, I'm I'm an out and out plant breeder, <laughs> sure, a, phen- sure. a, phen- a phenotyper, but I, I um, my opinion is that um, you know, I, I'm there to actually uh, create a, a good, a good plant, if you yeah, like, and yeah. uh, and for, for the brewers to tell me what they think about it. Um, and you know, that, that's that's obviously how all our cultivars are developed internationally. It doesn't matter who's breeding them. But um, that's not really being very enlightening, I know. Uh, in terms of um, how it's changed, um, well, you know, it was pretty much regarded as a a, a medium to high alpha hop initially. Yeah. And you know, so as we've said, it was at the forerunner of, of the craft beer scene. So it was, uh, and so people used it in various phases of their brewing. But it's it's since they started to use it in the cold side that's it's really sort of taken off, I think. And um, um, you know, I, I've talked with brewers here at the conference, and um, they you know they've used it in various dis- various ways, and. and it's it's amazing, you know the uh, the love that Nelson Sovin has here, and uh, you know I, just before I came into this interview, I was just talking to a guy from um, um, where was he from South Carolina, I think it was. He was doing some brewing there, and uh, it's just uh, he's just blown away with it. You know, he just he can't. He's very effusive about the use of. Um, of uh, Nelson Sauvin and, and his beers, and he wants to, you know, try different techniques, to, as you say, different yeah. yeasts, and, and I think that's that's the beauty of of brewing and craft brewing in particular is that there's so many infinite variables there. And uh, sure. um, in terms of um, Nelson Sauvin, yes, I don't, I think it's of all the hops we've produced, that's the one that's um, the most different. You know, it's that's the one that's got the unique flavors that you could say, oh gosh, you know, no one's emulated. People have tried and, um, and sort of, I don't know why they want to try, but they have to emulate uh, Nelson Savan. But um, I don't think anybody's come close yet. And uh, they, they say they have, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, to, I guess they've been measuring thials and trying to look at, understand all that stuff. But, you know, it's, it's a complex business, isn't it? Thials is um, an area of research that we've we've sort of hinted at trying to get in, involved with it. It's, but it, it's not just about right. thials. It's, uh, you know, their relationship with each other, each cultivar that's being used in the brewing process. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, um, it's, it's it's an interesting sort of development, I think, and, and probably for the future is, is sure. under, understanding all that, and uh, in particular um, flavors and aromas. You know, it's, it's a wide open field, right. and we've had a lot of basic science um, in in our program too. We've got sensory science people at um, at a, in our company, um, plant food research, and we've done beer trials with them. And, you know, had you know, independent panels. We've had uh, all sorts of people trying to understand some of these nuances of uh, our hops. And the other thing is we've got a target university uh, down in uh, Dunedin who've got a, a department, the food science department there, are doing some, a lot of research on um, on hops. There's a guy um, there who's done his PhD on, on hops, uh, Graham is Dr Graham is and he's um, got some students who are working in and I, I work... Work quite closely with them over the many years now, and uh, we've currently got a student looking at of uh, effects of, yeah. of uh, cultivars like Nelsonsaven, uh, Superdelic, and also Nectaron. So, yeah, things advance, and we 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 inch forward with the knowledge. But you True. know, like like a good science program, you know, you answer one question, and you've you've created another
0: ten. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I want to talk to you next about something you just brought up, which is the impact of both terroir, but also of pick timing, you know, because all as we know, those definitely impact flavors. And I think, you know, for our audience of brewers that's trying to understand how some of these things work with uh, some of these New Zealand hops, it might be fun to dive into that. Before we do that, are you ready to start canning your craft beverages? Twin Monkeys Beverage Systems is here to help this troop of engineers, service techs and microbrew fanatics offer customizable packaging solutions for every craft. Their canning lines are affordable, made in the USA, and engineered to grow alongside the needs of your business. Visit TwinMonkeys.net today and learn just how easy it is to get your craft into cans. Also, yeast is an incredible living microorganism we've known for many years now. That yeast has a crucial impact on the flavor profile and other sensory properties of beverages. It affects a wide range of characteristics such as fruity and floral notes, phenolic or spicy character, the body of the beer, and more. Fermentis Beer Yeast Strain lineup is designed to answer the requirements of all brewers, so release your creativity. Visit www.fermentis.com or explore their app to discover more about yeast behavior, and characterization. And ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for over 10 years. They're proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. They know the ins and outs of brewing and installation process and can design the perfect setup for you, whether you're just starting out or looking to expand. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. ABS Commercial. We are brewers, so, Ron, Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, you know, you you as the plant breeder, you know, can set up this plant, uh, you know, with the greatest kinds of potential. Uh, but there are also these other factors that that you know figure into that when it's picked, how you know where it develops in that schedule, and also, you know, the land that it's planted in itself. You know, all of those things impact. And uh, you know, talk to me a little bit about uh, uh, you know when you know if you are. You know, if they're evaluating uh, these grown grown plants, uh, you know, uh, along that whole picking window, and uh, of course across different farms and uh, how they're grown, um, what range do you see? You know, and I don't mean this purely in a good bad kind of binary. I think that's a little too basic to approach this. That there are different kinds of impacts, uh, you know, that can uh, all be positive, um, you know, across these things, but, uh, and, uh, and what people what brewers are looking for, obviously also exists the long range. What do you, what, do you, how would you describe that range and uh, what impacts do you see from that? Yeah. And um, it's interesting. That's a good question, Jamie. Um, the, uh, we don't know
1: some of those ourselves, <laughs> it's uh, but we've got opinions of course. Sure, and, sure. um, you know, there's the, the, the growing region in New Zealand is relatively small compared with, um, other countries. I mean, it, it's probably about a fifty-kilometer radius around the town of Motueka and uh, in the Nelson area. Yeah, and um, and you've got four. Well, dis- there
0: are newer
1: growing areas a little further popping up around Correct, too. correct. Yeah. There's, there's a few down south yeah. um, and they're doing a little bit of, um, it's the same genetic material essentially, yeah, but yeah. It's, um, they're growing it down south. And we've got regional trials as, as our plant and food research company. Yeah. We've tried to understand uh, the effect of regional differences, as we call it, or tewa. And, uh the um we've got trials up in uh, far north of new zealand at about 35 36 uh, latitude south mm. of the equator um place called Kerry. and we've got a research center there and we've also got well, obviously mitoweka where the hops are grown and we've got that the for, we're 41 south and then um we've got another trial series down in, in um, central otago where it's it's the pinot noir area and we're all you know it's it's the adventure capital of new zealand probably now yeah. with all the skiing and such and you know fun stuff to do, but um central Otago and in a little place called Clyde, and um it's uh, we've got a research station there as well, so it's all on plant and food research, and we've done trial work to see um, their differences there, and we've had students working on it. there's certainly differences, but it's the genetics is by far and away the most influential you can yeah. you can tweak them but um and you can get differences but it, it always bothers me that you know, people talk about the differences in hops and, you know, for growing in different areas, and often it's because of, you know, as, as we've just talked about, it, it's, it's the timing of the harvest, yeah. and, and it's also how you kill them and the temperatures you use. And so there's all those influences in there. There's a lot of variabilities, and soil, obviously soil's come into it too. Some grow better on heavier soils. Some grow better on the in the silty loam soils that we've got at the research centre right. out near the coast. Um we're lucky in where we are. We've got good access to water, so there's never any sort of great stresses, if you like, on the plant. Right. Um, there's regular. We get regular rains as well. We've got uh, our the area where we we uh, the research centre, for instance, is um, we get fourteen hundred millimetres of rain, which is uh, in in American speak, it's uh, forty five inches, I think. <laughs> and um, so uh, we've got. Um, it, it's adequate rain, and it, it's there's not seasonal rain either. It's right. uh, or you could get rain at any time of the year. Um, in general, we don't have bad weather patterns. We've got some tropical cyclones come through, which has happened this year. Yeah. Um, La Niña weather conditions are not generally favourable for New Zealand uh, because you know we the cyclones come down from up around Papua New Guinea and the Coral Sea and sweep through down to into the Tasman Sea, and and they can cause havoc. Um, which they have done this year, um, not in the hop area, but in other areas of New Zealand. So, yeah. and often it's associated with cloudy weather and other other things that are detrimental to good harvesting conditions. So, this year I would say we've had a average year in terms of um, the um, the production. It's it, the quality is really good yeah. this year. Um, the yields are about average and some maybe a little bit below average. Uh, and Growers, it's a bit hard to tell because the growers, it's a soft market, of course, at the moment with the hop sales, and so as we know, and uh, it's uh, so the growers have been a bit more circumspect about um, the the amount of harvesting they've done to fit everything in. And in that regard, getting back to your original question about the, um, you know, the maturity side, you know, it's been able. It's they've been able to sort of um, concentrate their harvesting at the right time, if you like. Yeah. We do a lot of dry matter testing and uh, alpha testing on the, um, you know, the ratios of alpha and beta acids is one of the key uh, points to determine uh, ripeness. Obviously, the other way is to the old rub and sniff (laughs) procedure. (laughs) Sure, sure. And that's the ultimate, really. But uh, So we've had students who've worked on on the effect of maturity. Um, And, you know, you can get... um, you can get ideas from the picking windows. You've got different compounds that um, uh, become evident in the, in the uh, essential oil profiles. Mm-hmm. They become evident um, as the crop ripens up. Some lessen and yeah. move move on. This you know the trend. This all sorts of different compounds being formed and reformed, if you like. And uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, in general, we've we've we understand now a little bit more about uh, when to pick things, and uh, and the industry is. You know, in the old days, it was alpha, as you said, and uh, you know you could, you know, harvest them, and uh, no one really cared too much about aroma, <laughs> as such. But uh, well, I shouldn't say that. But they, you know, it was lesser effect. It was right. more, more the alpha acid content that people were worried about. Um, but um, in terms of the aromas now, of course, that, that's um, that's paramount now. And our our company plant uh, with plant and food research, we've developed this thing called the Brack Brewing Program, which is taking new selections to the to the world, if you like. And it's the gap between a trial selection on plant food research where we've done all the pilot brewing and we've done all the agronomics and the machine harvesting characteristics and the seedlessness and and all the chemistry uh, essential oil chemistry in particular so it's um we've we've got all the basic information but we, what we want to do is to spread the word if you like so we get it out into grow properties so bigger bigger quantities and that's when all the timing of the harvest is becoming so important and so the industry in New Zealand is looking at uh, trying to develop hops that are Ripening in late February, which is our, you know, our season obviously is right. six months out of the northern hemisphere. But uh, we harvest times March n- normally, so we're trying to get hops that harvest up in in February, right through to I believe you could actually get if you could get cultivars that could hang on, you could harvest them into April because our weather patterns are pretty good. Yeah, so um, we could have a quite a wide picking window. So that's um, that's the first bit, But you know, obviously, within that, you've got to have—you uh, can't have all your hops ripening up at the same time. No, so, no, you can't. Right, right. <laughs> so, so you know, you've got to—you've got to have these cultivars. Like Nelson Sauvin is, um, is sort of a moderate. Um, it's a medium, medium picking window, I suppose, uh, yeah. mid March to uh, say the fifteenth to the twenty-fifth of March. Uh, you've got some like uh, the new cultivar Nectaron has got a wider picking window. Um, that's not too dissimilar, but could be a little bit earlier. Uh, it's got. It's a big aroma cultivar, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and you that know that one's the, named
0: after you, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, do we have to go there? No. <laughs> no well, actually, yeah. Well, you've brought it yeah. up, so no, yeah. we don't have to talk about that. Mm, no, well it, well, it is. It's partly named after me, yeah. but because, um, because you know, obviously, I, you know, I was the um, project leader of the program. Right. And I, 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 it's not just me that's done the work, of course, it's, um, but uh, you know, I've sure. been, I've been the project leader. So, yeah. um, it's, it's a ne- subtle
0: way of working, working that in, uh, without it being totally obvious. That's
1: right. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Nectar of the gods and Ron. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's, um, yeah, the, um, you yeah, know, I think the picking windows is very important, and uh, I think. It, General, it's not just New Zealand, but everybody's becoming a lot more aware of that. And right. you can you can stuff the hops up by picking them too late. That's for sure, or too early for that matter. Sure. And you sure. get you know you get that. And group. if you're
0: just looking for alpha, yeah, pick them late. You know. Let, yes. let all of that develop. Yeah. And
1: yeah. Crush them up into a pellet, and right. no, no one will see that the the, the, the maybe not at their optimum, but with the um, selection that's going on now, you know, we've we've had people down in New Zealand uh, doing selections. Uh, right and um and here at the conference, too, it's one yeah. a bit of a unique thing. We've got uh, New Zealand cultivars being evaluated at the Yakima chief um booth downstairs here and uh they, they're pouring got a lot of brewers booking their times in to look at um some of our cultivars we've got uh, we've sent over plugs of um hops, fresh hops from the harvest of you know right. about a month ago. And it's funny seeing them. You know, I saw them being packaged up in New Zealand about a month ago, and here they are, at the little <laughs> old Tennessee, and sure. uh, where um the, and the the brewers are. You know, I've I've spent some time with some of the brewers there, and right. it's, it's been great to hear their comments. And and you you see the differences there. You know, you talk about two R, and you can right. see the differences between farms, and uh, so there's some
0: obvious differences just looking at the like Hawkins. What? what? what is some of that range? You know, I'm you know, trying to think about the you know what a range of Nelson Sovin might feel, and again, not, not good or bad, but, uh, you know, in terms of flavors, visuals, you know, uh, aroma where, you know, what is, what is some of that range? What would one farm optimize for versus, uh, you know, say samples from another farm?
1: Yeah. Well, it, you know, you get good seasons and bad seasons between sure, farms. Sure. Um, and depending on what the grower, um, is produced, some of the best Nelson Sovin, I believe came out of, um, the Tapoeira era, area so that's one of the major areas it's inland um yeah this year and there's some outstanding samples of uh Nelson Soven came out of that that what would make them outstanding
0: Uh, uh, all around
1: they've got that good fruity flavors to it i guess you could say and um you know you can describe it in various ways a lot of people talk about new zealand hops as being you know with the diesel influence which sure i'm (laughs) not i'm not really that familiar with um that term, you know, it's used a lot. Over here, I was
0: just drinking, was a one called Gasoline Dreams from Monday night. Oh, wow, well, uh, yeah,
1: cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah here yeah. we are. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So leaning into it. Yeah, so Yeah, we, uh, often uh, the brewer there, Pete, you know, he, he describes it, you know, as diesely. So it's uh, sure. It's um, you know, if, uh, yeah, we've we've come to know each other quite well now in the last month or so. He was down for our um, harvest. Which which we ran uh, New Zealand hops ran a um you know, invited uh, some sure. Brack brewers down right, to New right. Zealand and Pete was one of them so um <clears> he <throat> yeah, we spent some time at his brewery there last night or oh, there's the tap room at um in here in um in Nashville sure. so it's uh, yeah um yeah I, I think that's some of the it's it's hard for me to describe them because I'm I'm not I wouldn't consider myself as a um beer aficionado in terms uh, yeah. in terms of flavors um you know I. I seen, when I taste beers, I often taste the citrus um, yeah. compounds in there and other people taste more, uh, the, you know, the, um, the, some of the, uh, the, the, the stone fruit characters, the apric- sure. apricots and peaches and things. and um, <clears throat> Yeah, so I wouldn't consider myself a, an expert on, on um, flavour determination right, right. In, in the beers anyway. But, yeah, certainly the, the, you can see the visible differences in the, in the hops here, and you get that um, sort of, um, you know, the colours look, you know they can be sort of reasonably green if you like, so sure. that, sort of that army green if you like of the hops, or you can, or some of them would be slightly um, paler. So yeah. that'll obviously be the the harvest time. So, so that's um, yeah without. Um, I don't know whether I've answered your question, actually. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about some other varieties. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about Nelson Sovin, which uh, thank you for indulging me in that. It's uh, mm. again one of one of my favorites, uh, and I, I love. Uh, I can't talk enough about it. Mm. Um, you know, but uh, let's talk about some of the like points of, of difference and variants with some of the other uh, uh, varietals that you've you've bred over the years, and mm. Uh, mm. you know um, from your standpoint as a hop breeder. Um, where are they you know what are those commonalities and uh, where do they where do they find their own identity and difference
1: yeah well let yeah good it's a big question that. <laughs> sure sure <laughs>
0: but, wide open ended you can answer this in so many different ways yeah it's um
1: you know some of the interesting crosses that we've done actually has been in the in my first 10 years of when I was working at Plant and Food um, in the in the research programme, you know, like the Nelson's Oven and the Roob Walker and, and um, Motueka were all developed in the 1980s, really. They crossed in the 1980s and they developed in the 1990s and into the 2000s, of course. But um, they um, – so, yeah, some of those differences um, – I can still visualise the uh, Nelson saven plant, the original plant, yeah. you know, in the field. Now, you know, sort even though it was mid midday nineteen eighties, by the time we actually selected it, uh, and I can and still visualise uh, choosing um, Rewalker as well, because that was that stood out um, because it was, it was just a, a big pungent um, a hop with just loaded with oils, and uh, and, the, and the, it was it was. Uh, Visually, quite a different plant. So, even as a seedling. And so, know. this one plant uh, one that plant, was, yeah, one plant, yeah. You just yelled uh, out to
0: you and yes, said, it yes, hey. it's
1: a pygmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, and from there it took off. Um, some of those ones have not, uh, Ruwaka in particular, has been quite a difficult plant agronomically. Huh. And uh, so, it hasn't got a wonderful yield, although if you grow it in the right areas, which you can do in New Zealand, um, some of them are actually um, producing two ton crops. Um, so, it's, but um, in general, it's about you know considerably less than that in terms of yield. It's about fifteen hundred kilograms roughly uh, per hectare, um, whatever that is in pounds. It's pretty much the same in pounds per acre. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> it's um, what it's it's again it's uh, it's it's a cultivar that sort of stood out right from the start in terms of its aromas. We did a lot of aroma trials, um, you know, brewing trials on it way back in the nineteen nineties. Um, the other one that Motueka is much the same. It's a it's a sister to uh, Walker. That's um, one that's been quite widely grown here uh, in the in New Zealand. Sorry, and um, that's the one of the uh, there's the big three cultivars that are grown now. There's Motueka, uh, Nelson Soven and uh, Nectaron, the new one, um, which was produced in non, uh, 2020. Um, Nectaron was um, <clears throat> its flavors are quite. Uh, yeah you know, it's it's a big bold hop and it's got these um very good um ar- aroma profile of um uh, tropical flavors partic- right. particular pineapple and um which I know other cultivars have got that it's got uh, a lot of stone fruit characters in it as well and also um it's an orange i think it's got orange orange peel <laughs> and uh, you know that's that's the way i describe it but um other people have got all sorts of different um, descriptions for it and it's um Depends. You get you ask ten brewers uh, the same question, they'll give you ten different answers. Sure, sure. And, Which is good. It's good.
0: Which and, is you yeah. know which is some of the stuff that uh, you know we've all been doing here at CBC this week. Uh, the hop quality group has some. You know they were doing sample uh, testing for attributes and testing for you know hedonic uh, you know uh, enjoyment uh-huh. uh, with uh-huh. so, you uh-huh. know samples brewed of some, with some of their uh, the public varieties that they're uh, they're you know sponsoring breeding of um and using an audience of brewers here to to enter that information so they can kind of track and see what you know the op, you know what the opportunities are out there and uh-huh. it's nice to see that brewers also here at cbc are willing to spend their time and uh, you know and help push some of these things forward and or direct some of these programs because um it's you know and then it's fantastic to watch the agriculture responding to the brewers and, and vice versa um you know when, when you're going through this process of developing Nectaron, you know, by the time you're doing this now or, or on this project, uh, it's obviously, you're obviously pushing towards big flavor and aroma and, you know, now exactly the kinds of hops that people are looking for versus the Nelson Sovin, which is uh-huh. much more of a, this is interesting. Can we make something of this? You know, now, now you're playing for, a, you know, you, you know what you're trying to achieve because you know where the market is. And, yes. uh, you know, um, you know, how how did that specific the specific selection and breeding of of that hop come about? And uh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm just you know curious because you know it takes a lot of a lot of plants and a lot oh, yeah, of different yeah. op- mm-hmm. options mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. you know before they you finally find this one plant that's going to be the model then. And then finally, then it becomes an experimental hop. And then eventually, if enough people like it, it actually gets a name like Nectar on and become, <laughs> becomes a marketable thing. Mm. Um, you know, how did that process go? Talk to me about that
1: well, process. Well, yeah, that's a good question. Just sort of, as you say, you did right. right. We knew that there was a big swing towards craft brewing, and we wanted to target that. I mean, New Zealand being... Quite isolated from the rest of the world in terms of um, you know geographically, uh, we wanted to uh, to get our product to market as you know it's a challenge. Sure. And um, so, but we know we've got a unique climate. Uh, I believe some of it, the climatic conditions there. You know, we've um, there's some there's some conjecture about the UV limit, uh, levels in New Zealand. You know, they're quite uh, by the global standards, they're quite high. That's, so I've um, heard. Yeah. And so, you know, and those compounds that are formed and, you know, un, under stress, you know, may be part of the reason why we've got this unique R, if you like. I mean, a classic example is the difference between um, U.S. Cascade and New Zealand Cascade. Right. And well, we call it uh, Taiheki in New Zealand. That, that, the co-op's name for it is tai heki. Um And um, so... That it's the same, it's the same, correct? Right. So it's a genetically the same because I know I, I introduced the thing from the United States. So, um, so Cascade became grown quite widely in New Zealand, and uh, but it's distinctively different in terms of its aroma profile and um,
0: genetically and the same,
1: the genetic, and distinctly
0: yeah. sensorially different,
1: indeed. Yeah, it is. And, yeah. it's, and often, I, I keep reminding people though that. Doesn't matter what you do um, between the two, identifying the different compounds and things. They're, they're always going to be six months out of uh, difference in terms of age, right? And uh, you know, the six months younger or older because of the harvest dif- harvest differences, um, seasonal differences. Sorry. Um, so yeah. Anyway, back to um, nectar on. Um, yeah, we so we had this. Um, you know, our, our program was really focusing. You know, we've got a lot of. Um, uh, government support for our program around the aroma profiles and trying to understand you know we do a lot of work around um, understanding the intense aroma intensity of, of our hop selections and uh, so it was um, it, we started in 2004 the cross was made 2006 we selected nectron uh, as a seedling and one of its um, one of its sisters is actually um, Waimea, the cultivar Waimea. Oh. and Waimea was promoted because it was um, it was a hop that um, uh, had a higher alpha, which was still uh, important attribute at that time, and so that was promoted and pushed, and it was released in 2012. So 2004 to 2012 was quite quick in terms of cultivar yeah. development. But I always had this, this this wonderful plant out there called uh, Nectaron, and it was um, sitting in the background, and um, it was um, we we kept it in our research trials, and we um, we did some extensive uh, pilot brewing trials in the early. Um, uh, 2014, 15, uh, we we actually um, got a new pilot brewing plant at the research centre there, and we did some extensive trials with brewers and other people coming in and evaluating it. Nectaron stood out, and. Every, and it got the nickname "Wow" because because <laughs> wow. everybody would just sit down and, and then taste the beer. Wow! And uh, so that that was what it was known as for quite a while. But it was obviously it had to be changed. So um, Nectaron was um, born and um, and uh, in two thousand and four, and it was uh, released in two thousand and twenty as an official hop. Some of the early brew trials were done um, in New Zealand, obviously, and uh, the brewers raved about it. And one of the earliest was a little brewery in uh, Rotorua who um, who um, won in a um, we we sponsored an award at the Brew um, Brew NZ's um, annual um, uh, celebration of you know, like of, of beers, and uh, they won our award, the Plant and Foods Award, and one of that is to is to for them to be given some hops to try, and 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 the brewer there, Paul Croucher, he was just over the moon with it, and so Croucher's Brewing and in little old Rotorua in New Zealand was one of the first and in terms of the official release um, of the hop it's um, in, in commercialization of it it was released with quite a lot of fanfare and that was a uh, little brewery in Nelson um, was used then there was sprig and fern um, and Tracy Banner who's a internationally known judge uh, she's the owner of the brewery and a bit of a guru in terms of um, you know her knowledge around beer beer flavors and, and hop flavors. And we've worked extensively with her over the years, and and she actually did the first um, commercial brew of um, with Nectaron, and, it was, and huh. the rest is history. There you go, there you go. <laughs> and we've had Superdelic, of course, since then. Uh, Super, sure, Superdelic was released uh, in this last uh, last couple of months, and that's going to take off too. it
0: We're barely getting our heads around Nectar on, and all of a sudden we have Superdelic <laughs> too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: that's good. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, let's mm. zoom out here. What's next? You know, you you now have. Two named hops released in relatively uh, quick succession here: Ectoran mm-hmm. and Sur- mm-hmm. Um You know, but the New Zealand hops market, are obviously compared to or the you know growing uh, world compared to you know say the Pacific Northwest or uh, you know German and, and you know Czech areas, is are still pretty small. Um, the area, yeah, yeah. Well, this, um but what's you know what's next? You know, what's next? Where in- do you see the next five years taking New Zealand hops? Well, the, the the company is, um, or the New Zealand industry. New Zealand hops is a, in a broader sense.
1: Yeah, in the broader sense. I think it's going to continue to be a, a niche player, if you like. You yeah. know, I, I can't see that New Zealand's ever going to be a, dominate the world in terms of hop production. Uh, we're too small and too far away Nor from it. Nor does
0: the world need that. So, you
1: know. <laughs> probably not. But, um, but we've got, I think we can play a real important part in terms of developing something that's new and something that's unique. I've uh, got... Uh, Aromas that no one else has um, got, if you like. Yeah, yeah when I say got, I mean uh, they've got a different um, niche market themselves. So, sure. um, so our hops I think are going to um, it's mostly mostly exported now. Um, yeah. you know, around about the second world War it was all domestically used, but now it's um, eighty to ninety percent um, exported. and a large part of that is to the craft brewing industry here right here in the US of a. So um, it's um, I think it's going to take off. I've met some people from all over um, North America really uh, at this conference and, and elsewhere and in the Americas as well, even people from Argentina and Mexico and other places who've um, used New Zealand hops and, and love them. So uh, and it's great to you know it's, it''s it's funny for us to come all this way and, and realize that there's um, you know that our hops are actually appreciated. I think the Americans actually appreciate their hops as much as um, the New Zealand brewers do. So, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's great. And, and I, I think the next next five years, um, I think we're, we're going to see some more cultivars develop. We've, as I said, we've got this program called the Brack Brewing, which we've got um, brewers here in the US who've engaged with us. Uh, and we get feedback on their how they've used it and, and what the brewing uh, flavours are. Um, and likewise we've, we've got Brat Brewers in Australia it's, it's becoming quite popular over there in New Zealand hops um, and also in New Zealand of course so um the, I think the next five years we'll, we'll just see a continual uh, development of selections and as I said I think we've got some unique genetic material in New Zealand which um, is proprietary and um, and we'll um, continue to develop material that's it got wonderful flavours. We, we put a real emphasis on flavour and aroma in our programme because we ha- we don't have any pest and diseases in New Zealand uh, to speak of so we don't have to worry in our breeding programme about developing powdery mildew resistance mm-hmm. or whatever other thing that's... Um, a pestilence of general description. Sure, sure. Um, So we haven't got the. It's yeah. a, it's a pretty pretty nice environment for growing hops because you don't have to worry about spraying them. So it's um that that's a big plus for us as well. Um, southern hem- hemisphere production, um, no sprays to speak of. Um, apart from herbicide, of course, herbicide control of, of um, you know weeds and things, um, and and, you, and you've got the unique cultivars, so and the triploids, so there's a winning combination there, and I, th- I think we'll carry on and and develop um, new selections, and we've already got a rock star coming up, and uh, watch the space, I say, and you know a rock got, star yeah, coming <laughs> up, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got this um, uh, one selection that's. Uh, it's is really taken off, and uh, you know, in the brewing trials, and some of the Brack brewers actually tried it down yeah. in, in New Zealand uh, this year, and it was just a number. We can't say anything about its number or anything, sure. but it's uh, this stage. But it's, I think, it's got massive potential in terms of its aromas. So uh, something completely different, and uh, yeah, we're, we're very excited about it.
0: Completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, All yeah. Right.
1: So yeah.
0: Anyway. Well, now you're <laughs> you're sparking my curiosity, and I'm going to have to do more uh, uh, research on this. Uh, uh, once we're done with this conversation. But Ron, I think that's a, a great place to bring this to a close. GD Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. CanCraft's team of design and aluminum specialists are here to make things easy. Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends in your next craft beverage. The AccuBrew system is designed to give you unprecedented insight into the fermentation process. ProBrew's rotary can fillers reduce waste and produce higher quality packaged beer uswatersystems.com builds American-made water treatment systems with brewers in mind. Twin Monkeys offers customizable packaging solutions for every craft. Release your creativity with brewing yeasts from Fermentis, and ABS Commercial is your full-service brewery outfitter. If you've enjoyed this episode, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, let us know that you care. Um, Ron, if people want to learn more about hops from New Zealand, Uh uh, especially these Beautiful varieties that uh, mm-hmm. you've played a part in uh, in breeding and bringing into the world. Um, where do they learn more?
1: Well, we've got the website. Um, the New Zealand Hops is www.nzhops.co.nz. So uh, or NZ, I should say. Um, but anyway, um, that's and also you know I'm quite approachable anytime really. I'm, my my um, email is uh, ron at newzealandhops.co.nz so you know it's nz um, hops not not the full word of New Zealand so it's nzhops.co.nz so that's where they can find it um, there's also a North American um, our agent up here if you like the uh, brand ambassador up here is um, Devin Biondi and he's based up in Spokane in uh, Washington and he's travels right throughout the u.s and, and interacts with uh brewers so he's really the contact in north america yeah um so devon is the one so
0: hops available from many uh popular suppliers of hops <laughs> in, in north america yeah. of course well ron it was great talking with you about new zealand hops uh, oh, right. some of my favorite hops uh, mm. out there in the world mm. today it's, uh, been yeah. it's been a pleasure been
1: a pleasure yeah. cheers mm. okay all the best
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.